Welcome back to another episode of the Equity Matters Podcast. This is your host, Addis JB3, and we are in for a treat this week. I say that every episode because I feel like every episode you're in for a treat. So I'm, I'm here to deliver. Now, I know most of my guests in some shape or form, typically through social media or we've built a relationship over time. But today's episode is with my brother, right? This is my brother from another mother who I've known now for 12 years. And to just watch his growth and maturation and development, the things that he's pursued, the things that he's led, I'm just I'm just glad to be in the stands cheering him on, honestly. And so when you add the fact that he has a commitment to diversity, equity, inclusion, and social justice, that's just the icing on the cake. When we think about the conversations that have taken place the past two or three years, specifically, because they've been going on longer than that, around social justice and sports, there's not always room given to have deep conversations or to get into the crux of the issue. So when you have athletes banding together to say something like Black Lives Matter, stop, don't shoot, it really has an impact. Now, what happens when the athletes go home, but the administration still say, we have to understand that sport itself is a business and the business of professional sports is huge. But when it's riddled with white supremacy, like the other industries and spaces that we tend to occupy, we have to ask some more critical questions. So today we're going to hear from my brother, Ashton Henderson, who in his past role, let me put that out there as the director of diversity, equity, inclusion for my hometown, the Detroit Pistons. He has to get into these difficult conversations. He has to be able to ask the question that everyone's thinking, but is afraid to ask. When I think about what it means to advance equity through sport, I, I think about one, primarily the vast amount of resources that are available to have these discussions. You have a platform, you have people, you have pocketbooks. So it shouldn't be as hard, but as you'll learn in, in today's episode, there are still challenges. And so I've talked enough. I'm ready to introduce you to Ashton Henderson. Ashton? JV, it is an honor to be with you. Excuse me, let me correct myself. Dr. James <laughs> Bell III. I got to say that with my chest. I'm so thankful to be here uh, with you. Uh, talking strategy, DEI, professional sports in your hometown. Talk about full circle moments. Um, but I'm so thankful to be on Equity Matters. I'm going to go on a limb and say this. It's about damn time that your man <laughs> has been invited. I've been jealous watching 40 plus episodes of excellence. Um, and my, my line brother is, is he is just black excellence through and through. And I'm just thankful to, 
just play a small part on this show, um, Equity Matters, and continue to add value to the spaces that he does every single day. But Ashton Henderson is my name. My preferred pronouns are he, him, his. I am from the best city in the US of A. That is the Tallahassee, Florida. Um, I will say, you know, most people don't really know where Tallahassee is, but, you know, the T in T-Pain, it stands for Tallahassee Pain. Just a new tidbit for those of you who did not know that. So I'm from Tallahassee. Uh, my, my core values are integrity, faith, family, discipline, determination, and drive. My value proposition is to add value to any space that I'm in. And truly, there's been more virtually uh, than physically as of late, but still want to ensure that those same touch points and value points are still connected. Um, man, and I'm just thankful for the conversation in which we're going to dive into tonight because this is my passion. This is my why. And certainly something that I am truly thankful that I get to power humanity every single day with the Detroit Pistons. Hey, boss up one time. All right, Hendo. So, so one of the questions that I have initially, right, is really like what – brought you to this work because a lot of folks get involved in DEI and they don't necessarily have a background in it or there's this direct relationship between DEI and human resources and you didn't necessarily take that trajectory so tell us a little bit about your educational background and how it brought you to the Pistons and to the DEI space. Absolutely I, I was called to diversity equity inclusion and I've been doing this work for a quite you know a long time particularly before it became um, very popular and things in which we're seeing right now. So for me, um, I'm very thankful. I went to Michigan State University, um, studied advertising uh, as an undergraduate student, uh, as well as played football uh, for the Spartans. And uh, many, through those experiences, I really started to see things differently in terms of how I can add value outside of my sport. And one of the things in which I kind of really got into, and this is why I knew DEI was for me, uh, was I remember my freshman year, I struggled so much from homesickness, uh, just feeling like I didn't belong, various other opportunities where the environment wasn't as inclusive as I would like it to be. You talk about sports teams. Yes, there's a lot of diversity, but when I walk into a class at a predominantly white institution in which I was at, there was no one who really looked like me in terms of faculty, in terms of just overall experience. And it's something that I, I was had no idea that I was getting ready to prepare myself for something greater in this space. Um, so what I did was take all of the struggles in which I had in my experience um, after I finished playing um, and got an opportunity to be a graduate assistant. Man, uh, James and I both still reflect from whence we've come. <laughs> Those 550 bi-weekly checks, you would have, think, you would have thought we were on, man, but that's a whole nother subject for a whole nother segment for a whole nother day. Uh, but with that said, um, it led to uh, me uh, curating a freshman leadership program called Keeping It Real. Uh, and what Keeping It Real was for was just essentially taking all of the missteps, um, all the areas in which I struggled, and really talking to other teammates and athletes to really see how we can improve and include and better serve the current student athletes who are there at Michigan State University. And that program now is in its 10th year. Um, still going strong, been elevated by so many other great people that have come along the way. But that is when the staple of DEI came with a system of legacy and things have been put in place. From there, um, I left and went to Florida State University 
um, where I served in athletics administration, working uh, solely with our football program, um, as well as our track and field and cross country program, where I was learning to understand um, the academic component of various struggles of the student athlete and where socioeconomic status is and how those senses and that different dichotomies and things come together. So also um, at that time, um, that's when I wrote my first book, um, Beyond the Gridiron, How to Successfully um, just really make that leap into collegiate athletics, not just football, but for the entire ecosystem. So from there, um, my boss at the time who brought me to Florida State um, ended up getting recruited away to go to Clemson University. And at that juncture, um, once he got settled, he called me, he said, hey, Ashton, I would love for you to come work for me here. And he was such a dynamic leader, someone I looked up to and really valued diversity, equity, inclusion, and experience of all people. So it was an easy um, yes for me to, to join him there in Clemson. So I moved to Death Valley, South Carolina, um, right after I, my first stint at Florida State. And that's when I really got immersed into diversity, equity, inclusion, um, serving on the MSSI team, which is minority students in service and, and inclusive opportunities. Uh, when I learned about how to strategize, mobilize, and put plans together for effective DEI strategy, as well as retention on all those elements to see what we're doing to retain students and how are we making their experience better. Um, from there, um, I was also working with our offensive side of the ball for football. And again, seeing the disparities, the, the race the relations, the gaps, the things of that nature from Olympic sports, which are primarily dominated by um, people who are white, uh, Caucasian, uh, people of color are not necessarily you will find in those sports. So seeing differentiating factors, things of that nature, which led me to get recruited back to Florida State. Um, I was at Clemson for three years and I got tapped on the left and the right shoulder to come back home to lead a character development and leadership program um, with how that also had a diversity, equity, inclusion, lean in and focus. Um, at that time, um, I was also asked to serve on the President's Council for Diversity, Equity and Inclusion. I uh, served for three years, <clears throat> also went through a certificate program to earn my diversity, equity, inclusion certificate through the HR systems program, which was truly amazing, truly awe-inspiring. Shout out to my former um, employer for the eighth year. They just won the HEAT award. Um, and you talk about a best in-class um, diversity, equity, inclusion programming. Uh, you have to think about Florida State um, University and how they've set themselves up for success. And I was thankful to get that pedagogical skill set to bring this where, to where I am today um, with the Detroit Pistons. <clears throat> From there, I uh, was in that role and capacity, got promoted. And while I was at Florida State to, to an assistant athletic director, as well as our chief diversity officer for our entire athletic department. I did that for two years, as well as had oversight of our whole entire student athlete development ecosystem, 20 sports, over 500 plus student athletes where you're shaping program around DEI and other areas and other aspects. So it was truly an honor um, to lead <clears throat> in some very challenging times where I was able to curate what's called FS Unified and some other areas where I was able to really lean in, which, you know, shooters shoot. Yes, sir. With all those experiences, man, I saw myself and found myself looking at a role and I just stumbled upon it one night and 
it was like right in front of me and it was for the Detroit Pistons. And I was like, man, every line on this job aligns with me, my values, how I want to serve, how I want to lean in. And essentially, I just shot my shot. And I'm so thankful because that led me to this role. Here I am, 10 months in, serving, serving leading, and, and really empowering our entire Pistons family and, and driving our strategic initiatives regarding and around diversity, equity, and inclusion, both internally and externally. It has been nothing short of amazing. It feels like I've been with the Pistons for much more, more than 10 months, just due to um, shout out to Hefe, my boss, um, Nicolette Lewis, our senior vice president for HR, which my position is reports through. And I'm so thankful that she gives me the latitude, the runway, and the creative abrasion and respect and the opportunity to lead and just let my creativity run, which is very dangerous when you can connect the skill set and things in which we have in turn. So I'm thankful to be doing it at a high level. There's only 29 of me um, beside myself in the entire world. I have to remind myself of that every single day. And I'm thankful um, to be doing that on this level and working through and empowering and inspiring other DEI practitioners to get in the game because it's lonely, it's lonely work, but it's meaningful work and it's things that we can do together and collectively to make change, um, systemic change that we wanna see. First of all, I don't think, and I know we've talked about like every move that we've made professionally. Like, I don't think I knew you were a CDO, Chief Diversity Officer down at Florida State, but I'm gonna let that slide for now. I'll go back and check your LinkedIn later, but I'm, I'm gonna let it slide. But you bring up a, a lot of really important points when it comes to DEI efforts, right? And the way you describe your trajectory, like your lived experience informed your professional experience in many ways. And so as you traverse through your career, you have more opportunity, more authority and agency to move around. And now it sounds like you're at a place where like, hey, I've got the ability to go do the thing that I say needs to be done without repercussion. And that, that's exciting, right? Especially for somebody like you who actually gets it, why we're doing the things that we do. Like there's a value add in diversity. There's a value add in equity. There's a value add in inclusion. And people don't always see that, but you're able to demonstrate it. And I know for a lot of folks, like there's an ROI, right? Like you, you gain more because you have more voices at the table. You gain more because people feel included in decision-making. Like all of those things matter. And so it's really exciting to see how that's, um, been amplified throughout your career. No, I appreciate that. And it's something that I've seen, um, experienced through those lived experiences, as you mentioned, um, Dr. Bell, it's just something where I, I just find myself, you pinch yourself um, when you think about alignment, you think about the vision alignment and execution and how you got to where you've gotten to. It's so like everything that I've done in my career, whether that be tedious, and I thought it was tedious, and or I didn't have as much respect for it, man, I go back to those things and I'm like, I see why I was in that role in that time. I see why I was tracking those data sets. I understand how this is gonna help me uh, see the bigger picture or those various aspects that you can't really understand at the time. But man, it's so, it's so important to be where your feet are. So let's, let's dig into the topic for today where I really wanna get at this relationship between DEI and the professional sports space. And so thinking kind of historically, what role does sports have in creating social change? Man, 
sports is is so such a a monumental opportunity for to be a change agent and to really shape the experiences of all people. And what I mean by that, I, I want to give an example. You know, I've just and you know this wholeheartedly, Jamie. I just really got into the game of golf. You've seen my game initially as I built. <laughs> it has not been good. Your man has been struggling, but I've seen some progress a lot, a lot lately. But I want to level set here before I get into my example, because I think it will really open the minds and understand how sports really unites us all if we allow it to. So with that being said, I was at a company golf outing this summer and one of my colleagues, he essentially was really good golfer and he was on the par three, um, which for those of you who aren't familiar with golf, you have three opportunities to get into the hole in the par three um, just for that opportunity. And if you go anything beyond that three, like me, it starts to be, you know, double bogeys and things of that nature for terminology. So I told you I'm getting better. Told so <laughs> this summer we were together and we were on a par three. And I kid you not, this man hits a hole in one from like 152 feet out. It was beautiful, literally went up like a skydive and just boop, right into the cup. And I tell this story because it was just incredible because the, the, the folks who were right next to us experienced what I experienced and ran and hugged. And you would have thought we were best friends for almost 20 years the way we celebrated this hole in one. And I had that moment with this colleague for the rest of our lives because it is so incredible what the game of sport and what that did. Not only did I get to celebrate that, but I got the opportunity um, throughout the time in which we were on the course, so many people stopped him and congratulated him from all walks of life, from all various abilities, whether they are binary, non-binary, however you see fit, it didn't matter what they look like, their nationality, their ethnicity group the ability they had, none of that mattered. All that mattered was we were there celebrating in, 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 in alignment with a sport that we all love. And that's something that you rarely see someone do, even professional golfers. So that's a moment where I say sport really is a vehicle to drive change. Um, and there's a group um, that I've worked with uh, extensively over my time um, through, through higher education and athletics administration even up to the trajectory point with me getting my MBA um, and really studying uh, how this how this DEI journey can work and flow and move through um, through a sense of belonging as well as learning, training, and development, which I'll talk about a little bit later, because I think DEI has to be done with innovation. But with that being said, I also think, and I want to highlight RISE, this is the Ross Initiative for Sport and Equality, and they use a lot of examples and opportunities to level set and bring the analogies of sport um, and how they come into play and how we can lean into those as we want to celebrate those various aspects. But sport is so powerful. It brings people together every single week. Um, it gives you a touch point. If you think about it, if you're in the airport and somebody wears their Michigan State um, hoodie or kind of paraphernalia, whatever it is, or whatever the cause they align to or the sport team or whatever it is, 
You, why do people wear that? If you stop and think it's a, that building connection point, you're from California or wherever you are and somebody yells, go green, you're going to say, go white. And that's something where it just gives you that connection point. Um, and I feel like sport has so much opportunity to really lean into that. And the NBA, in my opinion, WNBA, G League, um, all the affiliate groups that represent our association do it the best. And what it, in the heck a football player doing in the NBA, and I have to pinch myself because it's not about where you think you'll be, it's where your vision and your alignment and the execution that you'll be able to do. And I'm thankful to be doing it with the National Basketball Association because no one does it better uh, from DEI and the aspects that we pull together in the activations and how we really truly value this. Not saying any other professional sports team or league does, does not do the same or have the same emphasis, but it, when you're in lockstep from every president, manager, GM, chief business officer, SVP, EVP, it is a beautiful thing to see. Now you mentioned all of the, the components of the league and the association, you mentioned WNBA, NBA, G League. And I'm wondering, could you give some examples of how these organizations recognize DEI and their efforts or how they've gone about embedding it into the work? Absolutely. One of the awesome things, um, and I'll highlight it in the NBA, um, is the Kareem Abdul Social Justice Award. And this award is, is given to five recipients uh, for various teams and you're nominated by your peers. Um, and what happens is you're incentivized for speaking your, your, how you feel, how you champion causes in your community. Um, it's very unique. The NBA has 30 different markets. So think about how all of those markets differ. Detroit is different from Memphis. Detroit is different from Toronto. It's different from Atlanta from you know, the Bay Area, all these various places who are powering DEI initiatives. So you think about that and the league provides the, the latitude and autonomy and the runway to really help us cultivate the things that we wanna see. So that's just one primary example of how that's leveraged. Um, every month uh, we get together um, as a diversity, equity, inclusion in our team leads to talk about strategy, what we're doing, best practices, effective practices, um, the NBA does an immense, amazing job when you see the jerseys, uh, how we lean into Black History Month, various awareness months. We're in a season of giving right now. So all the things you're seeing that are done with intentionality and done with planning, like care, meticulous detail to not just do something to do it, but to have meaning behind it and how we're going to set ourselves up for a 30, 60 day, 90, upwards to 120 action plan after these events happen. Another aspect what you'll see um, is just the opportunity to um, really appreciate the historical context. This is the 75th year anniversary of the National Basketball Association um, this year. Um, so you're going to see a lot of great historical content, all those various things in which DE and I will be weaved into the fabric of everything we do. Um, we've been planning for Black history since it ended last year, which we know we celebrate that 365, 366 in a leap year. AP, I mean, so many different initiatives um, with Asian American, you know, Pacific Islander heritage and all those various aspects. We really take in, roll up our sleeves and are intentional about what we do. But the cool part, 
as there are 30 communities being impacted, impact and seeing the work we do every single day, which I'm thoroughly uh, thankful for. In talking about sports, right? Like one of the things that comes to mind immediately is really this notion of like the good old boys club, right? Like you, you've got these seasoned, let me just call it what it is, oh, white men who more or less control the operations, the, the finance, the, the execution. And so I'm curious as to how do we go about disrupting that notion and then positioning other folks for success, you know, people of color, women, differently abled folks, like how do we disrupt the good old boys club in sports? Man, that is something that I'm thankful that you uh, really mentioned that. And I think it, this, is, this is the time, this is our moment. This is an opportunity for practitioners who are minorities, <clears throat> excuse me, who really um, have the bandwidth to really do as such. And what I mean by that is, I think when we all saw the heinous, the disturbing, just any adjective you can describe of what happened to George Floyd, we all had the opportunity, whether you wanted to or not, empathize, um, show a level of, of, of um, just sincerity, sympathy to someone who didn't look like you because you finally got to see something that you, many people of color, African-Americans, Black people have been feeling for many, many years. And I say that because with that, more opportunities have come where leadership and being able to open the door to have pipeline and strategy and opportunities for folks to get more access, equity, and opportunity um, that they normally wouldn't have if that moment didn't happen. So to, to go back to your question, what we have to do as a society is cultivate more opportunities for folks who look like us and who don't look like us. And what do I mean? Um, we have to find mentors who don't necessarily have the same pigmentation or same upbringing as you, but we have to have that experience to overall get the whole totality of the business because what you see now, <clears throat> I link about Jay-Z, I think about various, think about Sean Combs and how you're seeing majority stake ownership from players well, that was never the norm. You think about um, Mahomes uh, having a, a majority stake in, in, in the Kansas City Royals. K, KD, look at Kevin Durant, the things he's investing in and doing. That was never something you heard of in sport. You talk about ownership. You, you, you stayed in your lane. You did your job. You shot the basket. You, you scored the touchdown. You kicked the goal. You, you, you volleyed Serena Williams. My girl, repping, always involved in some type of entrepreneurial aspect, as well as other major sports professionals who don't see themselves. And you know, JB, you already know it's nothing to mention without the GOAT himself, LBJ, my favorite basketball player, not because of who he is on the court, but for how he's opening up rooms and spaces for other athletes to be owners. When you see... Um, Space Jam, A New Legacy, all of the characters, all the characterization, the, the, the motion graphics, all those opportunities where he put 
not only NBA players on, but WNBA players, G League, the automation, the animation, all those aspects where you just didn't see that in the 90s. And now that to me is going to disrupt a system that's been primarily owned and operated and executed by white men. And it's something now in the Eurocentric principles and things of that nature are now being relinquished because of the way of the access that athletes see themselves as more than. And it's so cool um, to really see story after story. You talk about um, even Russell Westbrook. I can go on and on and on about the wine companies and the things you're seeing in the, the, the portfolios. I would love to just look at one of their diversification of their portfolios, which from a player in the 1990s or early 80s to now and how that's going to open so many doors and boardrooms uh, for various athletes and beyond, not only just if you're an athlete, but to hire um, and provide the knowledge, skills, and abilities for other communities. And I want to highlight the NBA on something, something amazing, too, just the work in which we do with HBCUs, LRIs, Hispanic serving institutions, as well as our pipeline programming with intentionality to grow those positions, because people need to see themselves in those positions. Representation matters how you train and provide the access to abilities and give that knowledge, skills, and abilities to others matter. So you're going to see a change and a shift in leadership and ownership. And as LeBron just crossed the threshold to be a billionaire, we're not talking M's, we're talking B's. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> so, like, you just think about that and let it marinate. And there's more to come because he's only going to continue to educate and really inspire and empower other um, athletes to learn more about how they can leverage these moments um, much, much more than we have ever before. You know, you, you started your response off with, this is my moment. And, you know, T Grizzly came to mind, of course, being, being a Detroit native. And in, in many so, ways, it's, it's so important, right? Because we have this opportunity now to pivot and to transform. Like we have the attention of folks with power and access and privilege and a platform. And it's it's fortunate that people are paying attention. It's unfortunate that it came at the cost of a black man's life or an Asian person's life or someone's life in general. And my concern, and it, it follows up into the next question, is you know, how do we sustain these conversations and these activities? where we see athletes being vocal on gender equality and systemic racism. Like I was really excited when I saw on the jerseys, um, you know, the phrases around like Black Lives Matter. And sure, that was great for, for the bubble, right? How do we keep these conversations going beyond that? Absolutely, James. And I think, man, you hit on something that's really critical. And it's something where I've committed myself and this is my life's work um, to really essentially do just that. And what we have to do is continue to have um, conversations, meaningful conversations and connections, but root our, root our, uh, our research and pedagogical pre practices and principles in the work in which we do. And what I mean by that is we cannot let this die. And it's something where it's easy to do, where we haven't heard a police shooting. There hasn't been much rattling or any uproars of you know, social injustice or things of that nature that we've seen or heard of that have been amplified. However, um, that's why I go back to my point um, with leading and leaning in with innovation. 
So for me, one of the biggest things, and I told you um, that I, I want to do this work with innovation and do it intuitively and do it around how do we bring people together and really get in, and, and really have that sense of belonging so people feel like they can be their authentic selves. So uh, for a second, um, one of the things that, from, and this is a higher ed principle, um, I've been building leadership academies my entire life. And even when I was at Michigan State, I just have that opportunity to be a builder and sustainer to create and cultivate opportunities with classes I built around DEI and strategy and focus. So uh, what we did, and one of the things I pitched to my supervisor and my champion when I first got here is how do we, um, when you hear power humanity, the pistons, um, you, there's a piston in an engine. When you turn that engine on, it powers the entire operation and operation opportunity for us to really go and set the direction of where we're going. So I pitched an idea to start what's called the Power Humanity Leadership Lab. The Leadership Lab is a 10-month diversity, equity, educational leadership, um, leadership development with a DEI focus um, opportunity for all staff members, um, primarily um, were selected that are in this lab to learn about various opportunities where you don't think about or learn about or hear about outside of the typical DEI buzzwords of um, implicit bias, microaggressions, microvalidations, um, celebrating diversity, ableism, things of that nature. But we tap into the Detroit market of professionals who are doing this work in the cities in which we're representing. So I'm thankful um, that we have various employees from every opportunity, whether that's corporate partnerships, marketing, um, you name it, um, HR, um, various aspects of our company and our business who are present. And we meet once a month, Tuesday for 90 minutes, and we bring a different principle every single day. Then the theory to action, um, when we graduate in May, our first class, what is gonna happen is they are gonna have and are learning the knowledge, skills, and abilities to power humanity, which essentially to lead diversity, equity, inclusion, coffee chats to be facilitators when we have things going on in events, to feel more empowered about their DEI journey, to know that I'm gonna make mistakes, but I have resources, I know what to lean back into and have that ability to really lean forward. So it's gonna take innovative approaches and practices where we use and leverage various things where people don't understand, where we create vulnerability, where we create opportunity for folks to really dive in and say, if you want to make a change, provide the space, have a budget, have resources committed to doing this opportunity. So I was doing the work for many years with no budget. Then I came here and have the latitude and runway to do something as simple as the Power Humanity Leadership Lab. But it's something where I personally feel it is improving our culture. Then also in our theory to action, they're gonna to have to do a presentation about what they learned over this 10 months and how they're gonna to continue to stay on the journey. And after every class, we give them a 30, 60, 90 day assignment of how they're gonna to continue to show and improve um, that this is being executed and, and, and really lived through their lives where those folks are gonna be GMs, team presidents, um, various aspects where their trajectory is, is just no limits to it. And that's going to continue to permeate 
to any place they go. Now, granted, we want them to be a piston for life, but that's just not realistic. Um, but we also want them to know that wherever they go, they're going to empower people because diverse teams um, and the folks who have and hire diverse groups and sets of people work better. If we all think the same, we're not thinking. And that's something that I'm really passionate about. And I'm thankful that we'll continue to power humanity in that way. You bring up something that parallels so closely with, with public health and what we're seeing right now on our side of things, just, you know, folks retiring, folks being burnt out just in response to the pandemic and thinking about the workforce as a whole and how we sustain ourselves and bringing in that, that equity lens and being able to understand, you know, the historic, um, the historic roots of community and how trauma has shaped certain communities and how even in government, we have shaped some of the trauma that has impacted communities. And so thinking about it, you know, forward thinking, I, I really appreciate your approach in this leadership development program because we're gonna need people who are informed in that way to provide services, to start thinking about, you know, how do I situate myself as a leader? How do I situate myself as a leader in this particular community? And how do I leverage my own power to ensure that you know people are getting exactly what they need to thrive? So that that's my little you know thank you for the the vision that you had with this program and just the parallels that I see in other spaces. No, and I appreciate you saying that James. I think it's so important um, for us to leverage our skills. Um, I, not my words or phrase, but something I often find myself using as a, from a TED talk from Dr. Linda Hill, um, who's a Harvard business professional and, and, and practitioner and teacher and scholar. And she says, all of us have a collective genius. And that collective genius is tapped through the creative abrasion process. So if we think through that and really take the time to really think how we can add value to spaces where we integrate music, we infuse the experiences of all people into our daily walk through our thematic calendars and things of that nature. Um, you have no idea once you learn about folks, like what makes them tick. One of my colleagues brought someone a bag of chips today. You would have think they got won the lottery <laughs> just based on how it made them feel. But the true essence of that conversation was if they peeled, if she had not peeled back the onions and layers and understand what they value and who they are and what makes them happy man what what the world could really be if we did that a little bit more less transactional in, investor and more transformational interactions those will really transform and take us to new heights in diversity equity inclusion space particularly in sport now i, I need to know right because i know you were a college athlete and i'm curious as to how you're bridging college athletics and DEI and professional athletics and DEI? Man, let me tell you, I was on a college campus for whew, probably almost, you would add in the time as a student athlete, I would just say 15 plus years. And college athletics moves really fast. And from my vantage point, but man, when I got to this NBA, <laughs> I was in for a rude awakening of how quick things go. And what I mean by that is just the speed of the information, 
Um, just feel like you're your own microprocessor, however you look at it. You talk about bandwidth, you talk about internet speed and signal. Our extra strength uh, is always up in terms of where we are. So I think I've been able to leverage my experiences um, as a student athlete, where you learn grit, hard work, tenacity, um, skill building, training, uh, being able to outwork anyone, uh, just based on getting up and being in a, a routine and things of that nature, scheduling, being always ready for any adverse situation, um, and putting through various situations to walk yourself through and talk yourself through, because self-talk is needed and is real in this work, um, especially what you endure and see. So coupling those things and marrying those things from my experience as an athlete uh, to a professional and what I've learned and to look at the whole business as in, in its totality has been something that my, my champion has really allowed me to see and challenged me to see, Ashton, how can you infuse diversity, equity, and inclusion in every aspect of our business and in our company, not just into a human resource aspect, but how are you going to do it? Um, in the learning, training, and development aspect. How are you working with corporate partners to ensure that we're vetting uh, sponsorships and opportunities to see who we're working with? Because all money ain't good money as well. Amen. And to see the marketing aspect in all those areas where I had no clue um, that I would be working with all these practitioners and people um, to see my higher ed which I vastly and I'm so proud that I've become a nerd over time and years where I couldn't, didn't want to pick up a book. Now I'm reading books left and right because I want to be the best. I want to have the best in-class diversity, equity, inclusion experience. And you hear the DEIB, especially in sport now more than ever, want to have the best in-class diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging um, opportunities for everyone who walks and steps foot into our organization and our company, because they'll know they're met with love, empathy, and grace, and all those things that which make people feel safe, supported, valued, heard, and seen. Going back just, just a little bit um, and thinking about the way that you set up the future of, of the work, right? The future of athletic administration or professional sports, what would you like to see in, in that future, aside from well-prepared leaders to adopt that equity lens? What else do we need to see? We need to see a world in which uh, many people who are called and tasked to do this work from an athletics administrative standpoint are properly educated and trained and have that foundational touch point to know um, where you start. And really, it starts with listening. And it starts to hear in the hearts of the people um, and really how you shape your strategic plan um, around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. So for me, what I would like to see is more folks who have certifications in DEI. Oh, what a time it would be. Um, there are certifications, but why don't we have a major in this? Why is there not a minor in this? Why are there not opportunities to continue to learn more of their certificates? But why are we not dedicating our time talents and energies to things that matter and how you align um, this, this concept, this ideology, this construct all together really can enhance the overall trajectory of anyone's experience. So I really want to see a uniform training um, in the future where collectively, obviously various markets, teams, sports, groups, campuses, church and state, all those, all those 
uh, bureaucratic wastelands, we call it red tape, um, really inhibit your success. But there's a way that we can have uniform trainings that would be great um, as to relates to having people provide foundation for them to be successful in this work, as well as having a requirement for athletics administrators, particularly those who have a seat at the table to make um, various decisions, learn and go through various uh, trainings and touch points throughout their entire um, opportunity uh, to their learning, growing, and sharing ideas uh, to not have bias in their hiring practices, those aspects and things of that nature too. And thirdly, I would say, well, something I would love to see is that there is an endowment or funding going to these spaces where diversity, equity, and leadership <clears throat> academies are being cultivated, not just uh, from a lens of just doing it, but more, more philanthropic gifts that are going to come from this to really sustain the work because it's not going anywhere. And it's something that is going to continue to be amplified and done in a way in which we want to keep it just at the forefront of everything we do. So those are the, the three tips I would say that I would like to see on both of those sides mirroring each other um, so that we can continue to grow um, and really provide the space that we need to be successful as a, as a whole. Nah, that that's mic drop moment. Nah, I, I totally agree, bro. I want to, since we've covered, you know, all the heavy stuff, and I was contemplating if I was going to ask you this or not, because I feel like I, I can't, but I'm going to anyway. I need you to tell me your top five Spartan athletes of all time. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Yep. Man, you really put me on the spot, man. Oh. Uh, Man, proper preparation prevents poor performance. I'll tell you, brother. Oh, man, top five of all time. I would say no particular order in the spirit of inclusion. You know, <laughs> you know who I am in my work. I love you all, so don't discredit or dis or, or better yet, Spartan canceled me for this list. Uh, but I'll start like this. I'll say you got to go, uh, man, this is tough, dude. Um, you know, I will say... Um, George Webster uh, would be my first. And, you know, one of the reasons I chose Michigan State University is because many people don't know this, but Michigan State University was the first uh, Power Five program to integrate Black, Black athletes into their mix. Um, if you look at the dominance that Michigan State football had from the early, late 50s, early 60s, um, that's because they were the only school that would allow African-Americans to come. Um, and then many other schools started to take that model uh, where you see um, Alabama and various others got in the mix. And that's how that turned ties. But I was an education point for me, the George Webster's of the world, um, as well as um, <clears throat> many other Gene Washington's and all the legacies in which uh, you see um, coming into Michigan State, Bubba, uh, and so many cool things. But I would say, um, of course, that I want to get that touch point. Urban Magic Johnson, definitely got to have him in the mix. Spartan Magic, uh, local native doing this thing. Also, Mogul doing some amazing things in ownership that you see. Um, Cheryl Gilliam, track and field and cross country, um, athlete in Michigan State who is doing some amazing work and has a legacy um, that has an award in her honor. Um, also, I want to shout out um, when I think about Spartan greatness, I had to think about one of my own teammates um, who I really admired 
um, during my time in the state. Um, it was a workhorse, uh, Javon Ringer. Uh, I would have to put him in the mix, um, as well as <clears throat> when I think about, um, I think this is my last one. I also have to give a shout out to, uh, man, this is tough. Uh, I would say, I would say also too, just thinking about my era and time when I was there. Um, there's so many great ones, James. This is tough, man. You put me on the spot. I'm gonna just pause there because it'll come back to me so I can drop my five, my final five. Um, but certainly, definitely um proud of our Spartan heritage and our and our experience for sure, man. We we have a legacy like none other. Um and also shout out my Lauren H. I gotta I'm gonna, that's my final five because I'm gonna do you know from various areas that I represent and what she's doing too. She was amazing on the Spartan basketball court, women's basketball court for that matter. Hey, shout out to the H Foundation. Yes, sir. Making it happen. Making it happen. Well, brother, definitely, definitely appreciate you hopping on the pie. I know you're gonna continue to cuss me out for taking so long to get you on here. But I had to make sure I had the right episode for you, right? I got I, I, I couldn't come half stepping. <laughs> hey man, it is greatly, greatly appreciated to be here. Everything you represent, everything you're doing, good brother, has just been a everything you touch turns to gold. And I'm thankful to um we have, like you said, our brotherhood has grown not only through through digs and all the other things that come with that, but just you as a man, as a father, as a leader, um, a spiritual partner. Uh, prayer warrior, everything in which I'm thankful for, everything I could ask a brother for, you are. And I love you, man, and I'm so proud of what you continue to do and where you're going, and I can always say that's my damn line, brother. Always. Man, this, this is where I'm supposed to give you the flowers, and here you come. Just a stand-up guy, that Ashton Henderson. Now, Hendo, let people know how they can keep up with you. I know you do quite a bit, right? You know, accomplished author, DEI facilitator, president of an entire association. Let people know the best ways to follow up with you. Yeah, um, brand consistency is everything. Hit me up. Uh, my my Instagram and Twitter are the same. A underscore Henderson. Got to rep the football number 31. Again, that is A Henderson uh, underscore 31. You can find me on all those platforms. Uh, also, find me on LinkedIn, connect with me. I'd love to learn a little bit more how we can cross-pollinate and share ideas and elevate each other's platforms in the DEI space, not only in sport, but how we stay relevant and work together to keep fresh ideas. So I'm open to that. I will hit you back. I will follow you back. Um, and that's something that I'm thankful for and that this position has a lot for me to do um, in a major, major way. Hey, Hendo, you the man. That would be you, good sir. Shout out to Ruff and the Six Cents too, and all my brothers. I love y'all, good brothers. Hey, shout out to the Six, man. Well, Hendo, you take care of yourself. You know, I already know your trajectory is is paved in gold, brother. You you up and up. All I ask is that when you get the box suite ready, just make sure there's a seat for me. Okay, just a seat for me. I don't even need a, a cherry coke. I don't need no popcorn. I just I just want a seat, brother. Just somewhere I can sit down. Hey. You and Sister Bell will always, and the boys, always, always have a seat uh, with me and Chloe. That is for sure. All right, brother, you take it easy, and we'll definitely catch up soon. Thank you, good brother. Much love, y'all. Huge shout out to Hollywood Hendo, a.k.a. So Confident, a.k.a. Ashton 
Henderson for joining us on the Equity Matters podcast. You've noticed this month we, we took a theme, a themed approach around sports and social justice, sports and inclusion, sports and higher education. But really at the crux of it is really this discussion around how sports plays a key role in disrupting inequity and pursuing inclusion, all of these things. And as we think about athletes out there, those who are studying to become sports managers, those who are studying to join this industry, keep that in your mind that it is more than just the, the work that you do with the team. It's also the work that you do within the community that you're building. Also, the work that you do to change the ways that um, sport has operated for far too long. So just want you to hold that in your pocket for now. A few very quick updates. So we've teased out the Unmasking White Supremacy and Racism and Mental Health training that's coming to the Cummings Graduate Institute. That will be here very soon. I'm hoping we'll kick it off sometime in August. Join the listserv if you want to be one of the first to know when it's available. Of course, we'll have content around it so you'll know we'll be advertising. Follow us on social media, duh, at Equity Matters Podcast on Instagram and at Equity Matters PC on Twitter. What else do we have going on? So soon, I'm, I'm going to continue to say it because it, it helps me to hold myself accountable. August. I am going to release a podcast mixtape. What does that mean? You may have heard me describe this in the past. I want to release what I'm calling I've Got Five, which is a series of podcast episodes. The requirements, they have to be less than five minutes. The other requirement is that I'm going to step out of my comfort zone and I'm going to record them with video. So folks will get to see me talking, stepping outside the box a little bit. So just know this is a huge undertaking for me. So be patient. Know that it is coming. It's going to be nice. Anybody that knows me knows that I, I take design really seriously. My creativity is on display here. So just just trust me. Let me know how you felt about the, the reel that I put together as well for announcing this episode. Part of that is, of course, in strategy because reels have a broader audience. But also, I'm I'm just letting you see how, how I think, right? And I, I'm excited to, to share more of me as we go forward. Other big things coming up. I'll be wrapping up my fellowship soon. Shout out to all my Delph folks. Um, it's been it's been real and. I can't believe that it's been like a year already and they're about to make us graduate and go on with our lives. But I guess that is what we have to do. We signed up to be leaders. This is the next step. What else do we have going on? So August around the corner, we got two new episodes in addition to the I Got Five. Stay tuned for that. Also planning to do some work with Wayne State University. They have Black to School forthcoming I'm really excited to talk about how we recruit additional social workers into the field, seeing how we can increase the people who who look like us, that serve the communities that look like us. Also, in another full circle moment for myself, I'll be joining uh, Michigan State University as their keynote for their orientation for the School of Social Work. Really excited to be back at my alma mater. Telling the truth, because that's something that we all need in education. Truth is, 
I feel like the foundation of learning, regardless of if the truth makes people uncomfortable or not. So excited to join that group. Um, and it's we're just going to wind down the summer, y'all, and get ready for, for wrap it up into the fall. As always, you know how I feel. You know what I believe. It's two simple words. Equity matters. Equity matters.